1: This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch.
0: Welcome back to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for an interview with Julie Dervin. And Julie is the Global Head of Learning and Organizational Development at Cargill, a major global food and agricultural company with over 100,000 employees. And I'm particularly excited to invite Julie back on the podcast as she was featured on Episode 71 back on February 19th, 2019, when that was published, a little over a year ago. And that time, we talked about managing a global digital transformation and connecting learning to strategy, uh, which is a great interview about all the things that Cargill was doing at the time. And a year later, Julie and her team have been investing a lot in digitizing, the learning there at Cargill, and it just happened to be extremely relevant for the times we're in under coronavirus and COVID. So Julie, welcome back to the podcast. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. Podcast.
1: Hi, Andy. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be back.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming back on. And we booked this under a rather short notice with all the things going on. In the world, you and I are recording this at the end of March, where we are right in the middle of the coronavirus crisis, whatever you may call it, where most of the global workforce is working remotely, really living in unprecedented times. I'm curious, how has Cargill responded to this so far? How has it been going with everybody or as many employees as possible going from in office to remote? Yeah,
1: it's a great question. You know, we have approximately 50 to 60,000 of our employees that are office workers and another hundred thousand that work in our plants and are in operations. And so, you know, it's mainly been, of course, our employees that work in the office that have transitioned to a full-time work from home situation. And so you know, the good news is, is that Cargill in, in many areas has honored and, and practiced a flexible work arrangement. And so many of our team members or employees are used to working remotely. I think the challenge has been is that, you know, it's flexible. So you could choose whether or not you needed to be in the office or you could work remotely based on what, you know, the day held for you or the type of work that you are doing. And in this situation, the choice is taken away, right? Our only option is to work from home or work remotely. And so we've had some of the challenges, you know, like I'm sure many organizations, how do we ensure that our network or bandwidth, all of that can handle the breadth of traffic that this is creating for our networks? And, you know, of course, there's also the personal side of things. Many of our employees, you know, have children who, as you know, are engaging in distance learning and no longer going to school or small children who no longer can be a child care. And so that juggle is more of, okay, how do I manage my day when I have to be both parent, stay-at-home school teacher, and work sometimes all at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's the challenge that many of our employees are, are working through. And then, of course, at Cargill, we have a very strong culture of safety. And so that has really kicked in during this time. And the message loud and clear of practicing what we all know around safety and making the right decisions, keeping our employees healthy, so that they can continue to do the work that they do. That is so important to enable our global food supply chain. So those are just some of the things that we have been navigating and just working through. And there's many more things, but those are just some of the the obvious things.
0: No doubt. And those challenges are, are so common to many. And like you said, Cargill already had a huge culture of safety And so I'm sure there was no question about doing the right thing to keep employees safe. And now, of course, everybody's kind of in the same situation where they're all working from home. And I'm glad you mentioned employees juggling these dual roles of worker, parent, teacher. I'm dealing with the same challenges. I can relate. I've got 2 small children at home. And uh, of course, my wife is doing more of the, I guess, schooling during the day while I work and conduct some of these interviews. But it's still a very unprecedented, challenging times. And for me, it's just kind of up to me to figure it out, running my own business. But is there guidance? And I know we didn't talk about this beforehand, but is there guidance that the company gives to help employees manage their time and keep things flexible so they can get all of these things done?
1: Well, you know, one of the ways that we have been trying to help our employees is actually my team has been involved in that in very quickly. Pulling together a set of topics that are relevant to helping people adjust to remote working, helping them adjust to sometimes the stress and the anxiety that the current situation is bringing upon us, helping them to get trained up on some of the productivity tools and collaborative tools that they have to now use. And so our learning and development team was actually able to quickly mobilize to organize these resources and make them available and you know that's due to the work that we've done with our digital learning strategy for the past couple of years that has put us in that position in order to provide our employees resources that would be helpful as they make this adjustment the other part of it is we have you know just continuous messages coming from the crisis management teams that have been organized in each region and putting guidance in place and resources in place and FAQs in place, making sure that employees have somewhere to call if they have questions, right, to get those answered. And so there's been a lot of resources. And I think the one that I'm you know, extremely impressed with is, is how quick the l team was able to mobilize to be able to curate these curriculums and be able to provide them to our broader HR job family as well as integrate these tools into the crisis management messages that are being sent out to employees and pointing to these resources to help them with a myriad of things that they may need help with.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So you were ready to respond and get resources out to employees to avoid some of that confusion because often there's that period of time in between where everybody's trying to figure out what the heck are we doing? And it sounds like Cargill's L&D team was was ready to respond. And I'll use that as a, a good transition into the L&D journey and what you've been doing with establishing the digital learning environment, maybe you can take us back to a year ago when we had our last conversation. It was all about the digital transformation that Cargill is going through and how you're starting to set up this digital learning environment. And I know you've done a lot of work in the last year to essentially be ready for something that you probably had no idea was coming. None of us did. But it seems like you're in a, a good place for it compared to a lot of companies. So. Take me back to that. What was the impetus on the strategy and how have you set up this new digital learning environment? Sure.
1: Well, about five to seven years ago is when Cargo was really starting to feel the impact of a lot of disruption and uncertainty in, in just a very tangible way. And it just continued to amplify. And our CEO and our executive team shaped a strategy that basically called for us to transform and begin transforming and building new capabilities and investing in those capabilities that we had never built before and so there is external pressures coming in such as you know aggressive competition non-traditional competition in areas that we had never seen before disrupted supply chains environmental concerns you know and everything in between And on top of that, of course, we had the transformation going on with inside Cargill and all of those pressures. And so in those early days of the learning and development transformation, you know, I was asked to shape a new vision, reimagine learning at Cargill. I think everyone knew that we needed a different strategy. There just wasn't clarity on what it needed to be. And so one of the things I talked about in our previous podcast was around aligning learning to business strategy and simply stated that that's exactly what we did here is, you know, we listened to the signals of the organization. We listened to what our business leaders were asking for, the pressures that they were feeling. And so we knew we needed to develop a strategy that addressed things like speed to learning Increased accessibility and access to learning resources, the ability to scale much broader than we had been able to scale learning before, and doing that in a very efficient manner as well. And then, of course, we can't forget the effectiveness of the actual learning experiences and ensuring that the learning that we were designing was meeting the business needs. And so, taking a look at what was going on. And what was going on in the learning and development industry too, which was being disrupted by many new learning technologies that we never had access to before, that were coming on the market and enabling us to do things in learning and design learning experiences that we would have never been able to design before. And so that's really what started this whole journey and shaping a new vision translating that into a strategy focused around those key measures that I just mentioned, and then being able to start by experimenting and developing the proof of concepts. So we didn't go big, right? We didn't try to win over all of HR and leadership. We started very focused and partnered with an area of Cargill that was ready to partner with us and experiment and try some new things out. And that experiment, that proof of concept enabled us to get some quick learnings that then we looked at and said, you know, if we were able to scale this type of outcome and impact more broadly across Cargill, what would that mean to Cargill? And so we took that business case to a few senior executives and got the endorsement and got the investment to actually start going down this road. And so we've been at this for about two and a half years now. And given the current situation, the current environment, feel very fortunate that we had gotten started back then because it was a very easy transition and little to no disruption, being able to continue to support Cargill's learning needs.
0: Yeah, very fortunate. And I feel fortunate that you're here on the podcast to share some of that journey. And it sounds like you know this is something you've been working on for a long time, and I want to talk a little bit about the scale and the technology. But you also mentioned something in there about going to the business and essentially getting the approval, getting the funding, sponsorship for this. And that's something a lot of LD people struggle with. And last time we talked, we talked to you about the importance of aligning learning with strategy. And I know that's something you've always been big on and already speaking the business language. Can you take me back to that and any insights or tips as far as? selling this to the business, getting that funding, getting that approval? Because I'm sure this was a massive investment to make.
1: Yes, definitely. And we're a bit opportunistic. So as I mentioned, the, kind of what I call the drumbeat at the top was we need to transform. We need new innovative ideas. We want our leaders to be bold and take bold actions. Refining our edges And solving the same old problems the same way is not going to get us where we need to be. So those were the messages we were hearing. And from an opportunistic standpoint, we said, okay, well, if this is what we're hearing from the organization, this is what we're seeing going on in the learning industry and some of these new technologies coming available how do we get started, but get started in a small way? Because we don't know what we don't know. I remember sitting at my desk two and a half, three years ago and thinking about this strategy and what I was about to propose and kind of throw my hat in the ring for <laughs> not knowing how we were actually going to execute it and fully if it was the right thing. But we started small. We did a proof of concept and it didn't take a lot of money it didn't take a lot of resource at all we kept it very scope we were very strategic at who we partnered with in the business to make sure that the area of the business we partnered with that they were ready to work in a very agile experimenting way knowing that certain things may not work well that there was going to have to be a lot of learning making sure that if we did this right and got the impact that we thought we could get, it was a high enough profile area of the organization that people would pay attention to the results and be interested. And so that's how we got started. We got started small and very focused with a part of the organization that was ready ready to partner with us, that was high profile enough to where others would pay attention and give merit to the results. And then we took those results and we took that outcome. And then we did some modeling with some of our other learning programs and said, if we transform these other learning programs into this type of a design, what value would that create for Cargill? How, if we scaled this, right? So what did that look like in terms of dollars? What did that look like in terms of savings, cost avoidance? What did it look like in terms of how fast we could respond to the business need? how big we could scale learning, all those types of measures. And we modeled that out in a few of our areas like frontline manager development, sales skills development. And that's what we took to our CFO, our CIO, and our CHRO, the three chiefs. We needed investment. We needed support from IT. And of course, we needed our CHRO to really champion this. And that's how we got started.
0: Yeah, I like it. And that's something that is, I think, replicable that a lot of people can learn from. Maybe don't come in and say, hey, we want millions of dollars for this huge program for 100,000 people. Just start small with a pilot, prove the concept with a group that is influential, and then start to scale out from there. Now, Cargo being such a huge organization, you do have massive scale to deal with. I'm curious if there... What are the challenges there were there trade-offs between quantity versus quality? You know, like a very high quality program may not scale as well as something that's simple and scales, but may not be as effective. Did you have to deal with some of those trade-offs and and how did you make those to make it effective and... and This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting organizations with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. And we're also proud to be providing tons of great content and inspiration to you and everyone out there during troubled times. You can go to advantageperformance.com to find any of our weekly webinars, insights, white papers, and blogs we've been putting out to help you survive and thrive during challenging times. That website again is advantageperformance.com. And now back to the show. for people out in the, in the workforce.
1: Yeah. So, you know, with Cargill having as many employees as we have and how the number of geographies, you know, just all the diversity and complexity that we have, we needed to be able to scale. Right. And, and as a large organization that is always on our mind, how are we going to scale this? We don't have an open checkbook to spend as much money as we want to. Right. So we have to always have that, that ability to scale and to do it in a way that's efficient. And the other part of that equation, though, is the effectiveness. So many people think that when you scale something and when you do it efficiently and you use technology to do so, you're losing quality. It's a trade-off. And what we've found is that's not the case. We always had in our kind of our, our principles was that, yes, we needed to be able to scale. It needed to be accessible. We needed to be able to respond quickly. And we had to do it efficiently, right, within a a budget. And it needed to be effective. We needed to achieve the business objectives that we set out to achieve. And the other part of that is the learner engagement. It has to be engaging for the learners. So a lot of people think that there's trade-offs when you go digital to that engagement and effective piece. And I would argue we did not, that has not been the case here. When you open your mind and you ask yourself the question of, well, how might we do this? And we don't put barriers in front of our creative thinking <laughs> and our ability to think out of the box and problem solve. It's pretty amazing what our teams can come up with. And with all the technologies we have access to today that we didn't have access to three and five years you know, ago, there's so many creative ways that we can design highly engaging, highly impactful digital
0: learning experiences. That's fantastic. I know a lot of people will probably think, well, if we do this, there's a lot of trade-offs. It won't be as effective as you know classroom, in-person, experiential learning. But if you're willing to take some of the barriers off, get really creative, you can come up with ways and have great resources. You can come up with ways to to make it engaging and just as effective.
1: Exactly. And prior to this whole COVID-19 situation, Organizations had choice, right? They had choice to decide how they were going to design their learning experiences. And if the learning and development group was coming to the table saying, hey, we should really try this digitally, and they were getting pushback from stakeholders saying, no, we need to do it in person, and that's just how we do things, and that's just how we do our learning, and not being able to sell this transition to digital, well, now we're in a situation where we don't have choice. And so I'm really interested to see what comes out of this situation by way of innovation, by way of creativity, because now we're in a situation where nobody has choice. Either you figure out how to continue your organizational learning in a digital way, or you're not able to support the learning, right? And so, in a time where we don't have choice and it has to be digital, I think we need to remove the barriers of categorizing what type of learning can be digital and what type of learning can't be digital and start asking ourselves at every turn and every step, well, how might we do this? And, and it's amazing how much that opens up the thinking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's so important. And just thinking about things differently and, and how you're going to make it work. And then now knowing that we have to make it work. This is the environment that we're in. You mentioned some of the technology that, you know, it's it's easier than ever to make these things work because of all the technology that's available. Do you want to talk about any of the technology or partners that you use to help make this a reality?
1: Sure. So we've been working very closely with partners such as Degreed, such as Intrepid, Course Success Factors. We have a learning content management system, you perform. And so our approach to technology is more of a learning technology ecosystem so when we started down this path and we shaped the strategy we translated that strategy into seven critical digital learning capabilities that we needed to build and so by having clarity around those digital learning capabilities that we needed to build we could partner with our it organization to engage them in the strategy and engage them in the thinking around okay So what are the technologies and what does the architecture of this technology environment need to look like to support these capabilities? And what we came up with was moving away from the monolithic, one-size-fits-all, everything is done in the learning management system, to let's choose the best applications for the various capabilities. And with the API capability and being able to integrate these systems a little bit easier than we, we have been, in the, been able to in the past, we're able to have multiple technologies that we have been able to integrate to create a very seamless experience for our employees. And so, you know, those are some of the technologies. That's how we've thought about our technology environment. And we wanted to keep it very flexible because the industry is very dynamic right now and new things are continuously coming on the market, and we want to be able to flex. And if one technology has served us well for a certain period of time, and now we have something new that we want to move to, we can easily unplug it and be able to move new technologies in. That's really been our approach there.
0: Awesome. I like it. And I like how you worked with so many different partners. And I'm sure there were challenges and great things that worked out with a lot of them. Getting to that, one of the things we wanted to talk about today that I think would be helpful for others to hear is what are the things, you know, one or two things that your team did that worked really well? You think like, wow, we're really proud this worked out really well. And what are a couple of things that did not work out very well that you learned from?
1: Yeah. So let's start with the things that did not work very well.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's always Um, fun.
1: Yeah, that's always fun. And so we have created a different culture around things that we call that say, that we say didn't work very well, or let's just call them a failure, right? And one of my team members who we brought over from our IT organization, the innovation part of our IT organization, she introduced us to an acronym and it's FAIL. And FAIL stands for first attempt in Learning. Hmm. And so, you know, if you also followed Carol Dweck's work around growth mindset, you know, one of the simple things that she says in order to develop a growth mindset is replace the word failure with the word learning. Yes. And so we have tried to cultivate that type of culture within learning and development. And so we do a lot of experimenting and I'll use our frontline manager development program as an example. You know, we have a completely digital design many different design elements and engaging elements that go into it one of the things they wanted to experiment with was this idea of a using chatbot technology as a coaching technology for the participants going through this this digital experience and you know we kind of hitched it on to the delivery of the digital experience and we told the participants hey this is an experiment. We don't know how this is going to work. Would you be willing to participate in it? And so, of course, it was whoever volunteered to be part of the experiment, right? And then they gave us feedback. And we learned things like it actually could be better used as more of a learning advisor of how to keep people engaged in the learning and reminding them of additional tasks or tactics or things that they needed to do to keep the learning going rather than a true coach. And so we found that was a learning that came out of it. But one of the other things was, you know, we serve employees that are all around the world. And so the time zones are extreme. And so we had a person, I think, from Australia who said, you know, this is really interesting and I'm glad to be part of this, but... It's a little bit annoying when I get the text from the chatbot going off in the middle of the night, reminding me of some learning activity that I need to do. (laughs) So, you know, the chatbots we were using didn't really pay attention to time
0: zones. (laughs)
1: So that was an issue. Listen,
0: they didn't they didn't have good (laughs) etiquette.
1: You know, that's one example that it didn't work for the business case that we were trying it out for. Hmm. However, we had learnings from that, that we can apply it because I'm sure we will try to use chatbots again in other areas. And now we have that learning that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And it didn't cost any extra. Nobody got in trouble for it not working well. Um, and it was a fun experiment for the team members to be able to do. The other area that I would say that we learned a lot was you know, the age-old conversation around buyer build and technology. And as I mentioned, we were looking at pulling in various applications into our ecosystem to serve different needs for us. And we always held the vision of, okay, once we get the applications in and enable and building the capabilities that we needed them to support, we need to integrate these applications. And we want to give our employees what we call a single front door, one place that our employees come to to access all the different types of things they need to do for learning and with learning. And so initially we thought, well, there isn't anything out on the market that can play the the role of that single front door, helping to bring all these technologies together. Let's just build it in-house. And, you know, we got about three months into it and realize that we probably needed to pivot and, go in a different direction and actually use one of the applications that was already in our ecosystem as that single front door instead of building it ourselves. Because we didn't want to get in a situation where we were constantly now software owners and always having to keep things updated. That just wasn't the business that we wanted to be in. But we had significant learnings from that that came from that experience that we wouldn't have had otherwise. We didn't know at the onset what the right decision was to go with an application that we purchased already or to build it ourselves. We could go either way, but we had to choose one and we needed to get some learnings. And you know that's what came out of it was we took a step forward, we made a decision and we approached it in a way that is, you know, we're going to learn as we go and here's the amount of money we're willing to spend mm-hmm. to learn from this. Here's our scope. And we're going to get to this point. When we get to this point, we're going to pick up and we're going to debrief. Should we keep going down this path? Or has this given us information actually to make what is the right decision at this
0: point in time?
1: So I would say those were two fails, first attempts in learning.
0: Yep. (laughs) I like it. I like it. I'm a big fan and believer of that. The book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck had a big impact on my life as a business person and and even a parent. And uh, I've used a mantra I learned from someone else years ago that there is no failing, only learning and growth. And so yes. every, every quote failure is just an opportunity to learn. And really all failure is is something that didn't go as planned, right? You hoped something would would the chat bot would be a great tool and it didn't quite work out as you planned. So it's an opportunity to learn and adjust.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think boy, small steps, if if we could just reframe how we look at failure and think about it always as learning and as leaders we can create the conditions for that learning to happen think of how creative and innovative our teams would be
0: yeah absolutely all right one success that you're really proud of from this journey
1: well i think you know our focus of putting the learner at the center of everything we do that is our north star everything we dis- we do every decision we make is a learner centric decision and so you know which is very different than traditionally how the learning and development profession would approach their designs from a very functional view right from a very educated functional view with our models of how we do design how we understand adult learning and very little about understanding our populations how they prefer to learn, what are the rhythms of their work days, what frustrates them about the current learning, what types of technologies do they use on a regular basis? And we completely flip that paradigm. And the learner, our strategy is 100% learner-centric. And so borrowing practices from the marketing industry around developing personas, that were representative of our learner populations and then developing learning experience map that, you know, corresponded to those personas and using that data and that information uh, to make decisions around how we design learning, what types of technologies we use in the design of the learning, depending on what persona we were designing the learning for. So I think that has been a huge success that has carried us through this journey. And I think the other positive impact that it has had, I get asked a lot, well, how, what was the change management strategy like when you started a digital first learning strategy? And frankly, the learner centric approach was our change strategy. When you understand what your learners or the populations you're serving with learning, how they want to consume and engage with the learning, And then in turn, you design the learning with that in mind. There isn't a change strategy because you're giving them exactly what they've told you that they wanted. And so I would say that that's probably one of the big successes that has been a thread all the way through this journey.
0: I like it. Yeah, really great. I mean, Even the quote-unquote failures were such great learning points and things that you can build on. And then you've had some great successes as well. As we wrap things up here, I had a couple more questions for you. One is on the partnership with IT because I think in a traditional business view, you would think of IT and HR, IT and L&D as being two very separate units that maybe don't talk to each other that much. But it sounds like you've had to work very closely and form a, a great partnership with IT to make all of this work. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and how you've made that successful?
1: Sure. Yes, we've had to work very closely with our IT partners. And I think the success came early on when we engaged our IT partners very early in the vision shaping and strategy shaping process. So we brought them in very early. And we knew that we needed them to not only cognitively, I guess, understand where we were headed, but we needed to engage them in this journey, engage them in a way that they saw an opportunity to learn new things as well, and to do different types of projects that would have significant impact, you know, to the organization. And so I think this that engaging them early, not being afraid to include them in the strategy shaping process. I think the other piece that has been very important has been with our learning and development talent. We essentially as we built our new learning and development team to enable this new strategy and bring make sure that we had the right talent and it was a requirement that across the board technical aptitude was a core requirement for every learning professional across the board in this new team and in this new model. So historically, we would have just one area in learning and development that was responsible for the authoring tools, the LMS, and they would interface with IT. In this new model, the requirement was everyone across the board needed to have digital literacy, technical aptitude, comfortable working with technology, building their data and analytics skills. It didn't matter what role you play within our team. You have to have that as a core skill. And so, you know, we've been working hard at building those skills and that enables us to partner then very closely with IT when we understand the technologies and the features and functionality. And so I would say that's probably been the, the two key ingredients in the success is bring them in early, bring them in, help them shape uh, your new strategy. Because you may be surprised, they may actually bring some ideas that, you didn't know that they had (laughs) and then of course looking at the talent and skills that you have within your learning and development function
0: if you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on you need to check out the brand new talent development think tank membership community your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code hot seat for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there.
1: And making digital literacy and technical aptitude a requirement across the board for every role.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And, and such an integral and important partnership. And it sounds like you've made it work well. Last question, Julie, for anyone listening in learning and organizational development that is thinking, okay, we're, you know, maybe they're a little bit behind at this point. But as you said earlier, we're all in the same situation now. We have to create learning that works for people working remotely. and We've got to make this work. What's one more piece of advice you would give that maybe we didn't cover so far?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it kind of goes back to that mindset. or are always starting from a place of asking the question, how might we versus why we can't. And so to leave behind us this thinking of we've got to categorize what type of learning lends itself to in-person, but doesn't lend itself to digital, and what type of learning only lends itself to digital. We have to stop that categorization and leave those mental models behind. And we now need to enter in to these situations where we are understanding the organization's learning needs and regardless of what they are, how might we respond and solve those learning needs using all the tools, processes, and creativity in order to design a digital learning experience. And so I think taking those old filters and removing those barriers where you're thinking is, very compartmentalized of what works well in digital and what doesn't, I think is very, very important. And I would say, lastly, from a learning and development professional standpoint is if you haven't reflected on this yet, I would encourage everyone to really start reflecting on this. And this is about how are you thinking about reinventing yourself as a learning professional within your organization, because this journey that we've been on in Cargill has required every single learning professional on the team to be willing and vulnerable to reinvent themselves as a learning professional, including myself, and being able to say, I don't know how to use these different tools. We've never done this before. Um, I've never used this technology before. So it's a bit of humility and vulnerability, but realizing that our profession is going through a big transformation in and of itself. And if you haven't started that thinking around how are you going to reinvent yourself as as an L&D professional, um, I think now's a good time to get started.
0: I love that. Disrupt yourself. Reinvent yourself. We've got to be thinking about that, whether it's learning and development or, or any professional. As you're, we're moving into the quote-unquote future of work, things are changing all the time. And if you're going to be stuck in your ways and thinking it's always going to be the same, you're, you're probably going to get disrupted. But if you're willing to open your mind, get creative, learn, adapt, be vulnerable, like you said, and say, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Let's figure it out together. You're more likely to be useful and valuable in the future. So I, I love that advice. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So that is all we have for now. Going to wrap things up. Julie, I really appreciate you taking the time to come back and share some of the journey you've been on and what you've been doing there at Cargill. I think it's so relevant to the times we're in now under coronavirus or COVID 19 and what so many organizations are dealing with having all of their employees working remotely and trying to figure out how do we continue to give them the development opportunities and programs that they need. So thanks again for coming on. My
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me, Andy.
0: All right. Take care. You too. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.